previously on The Avatar Returns. That's such a break from tradition, throwing to AJ first for an episode. I, 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 like, I like how you're shaking up the format today, Paul. This is the circus, home of fear and danger. I, I was watching it, and I, I felt like I could hear Paul crying. Who are you? The Avatar's fangirls? Wow. <laughs> Paul is straight kicking you off of this podcast. We don't know Old Sweepy's history. He's a war hero. Old Sweepy is a war hero. I choose I choose to believe the best of Old Sweepy. Just wait till we get the Old Sweepy, the Young Sweepy Chronicles. I'm not even sure I can't blink. Do I have eyelids? Your your mystery has been completely unsolved. You're welcome. Everything is going to work out perfectly from now on and forever. Hello and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm AJ. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series Legend, The Legend of Korra. Uh, this week we come to the end of Avatar Book 2. Chapters 219, The Guru, and 220, The Crossroads of Destiny bring us to the uh, dramatic possibly tragic conclusion of our journey through the earth kingdom eric and i have seen both of these series before but this is aj's first trip to the world of avatar that means there will be spoilers but only up to the point that we're discussing tonight uh but before we get to the show um you guys had some words about uh, these funny books that kids are reading these days look let's talk about comic books all right. I don't that, know. That's I don't know how it's going to fit into the format of the show. I mean, we're talking serious stuff here tonight. But by the way, that's the the new opening line of of whatever the next spinoff podcast we do about comics. Look, let's talk about comic books. <laughs> okay. that, that's the that's, a, that's the title of the podcast as well. It's all it's already the most insufferable <laughs> podcast you've ever been a part of. <laughs> that is saying something, my friend. Uh, so this has nothing to do with Avatar. But we only have two episodes to talk about tonight, so I feel like if you're a fan of animation, you may also be a fan of comic books. So that's the flimsy excuse I'm going to use to talk about the news that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo uh, have announced that with April's issue number 51, they will finally be leaving uh, Batman. And I, so neither one of you, uh, Erica, I don't think you've read any of it, but Paul, I know you were reading the Snyder Capullo Batman at one point. I, you're, I, uh, you're not current, are you? No, I read, um, I was absolutely loving Snyder's Batman uh, right before the new 52 when he was doing uh, Dick Grayson as Batman. That was fantastic. That was among my favorite Batman runs of all time. Uh, and then I've read some of the new 52 stuff he's done. Uh, I'm not current. I read, I think I read through the court of owls. Um, and I, I don't think I've read any of the stuff since the, so I'm not current either. The Court of Owls was good. But even mm. when it was coming out and people were raving about it, I it, I thought it was good. Uh, and then they had the whole the death of the family thing with the Joker. Mm-hmm. That kind of lost me a little bit, and I think I stopped reading somewhere in the, the 20s. Uh, I heard a- after that point there was an issue devoted to the origin story of Jim Gordon's coat, uh, <laughs> which does not inspire confidence. But basically, uh, that 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 episode would be directed by Darren Morgan. I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there right now. <laughs> um, but basically, I, I say that to say that with 
uh, their departure, I might pick Batman back up again because it's this weird thing that I have. And I swear it's not something like, uh, you know, oh, people like this. That means I have to hate it because there are many popular movies uh, and, and, you know, bands and things that I love. Uh, but when it comes to comics, oftentimes these incredibly popular runs by creators, like these fan favorite runs, I think are terrible. Like, I'm not saying the Snyder Capullo Batman is terrible. I'm not a big fan of it. But I will say the Dan Slott Spider-Man is garbage. <laughs> Absolute, unfiltered garbage. Now I get it. This is why you wanted to sneak in some comic thing. You, you brought up this whole thing with Snyder, and you acted like there was some like some point to this, but the point really was that it segued you right into talking about Dan Slott he, again. He backdoor slotted us again, Eric. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, that's what can I? That's what I do. I I, I love the backdoor slot. Oh my um, gosh. God! But but I mean, it's not just confined to that. Now. Like I uh I I didn't like Grant Morrison's Batman. Uh, at all, like yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. There are obviously there are highly acclaimed runs that I do like, uh, like the a lot of the classic stuff. You know, like the the Stanley Steve Ditko Spider Man, the uh, Frank Miller Klaus Janson Daredevil. But I don't know. Like uh, maybe it's maybe I don't think comics fans generally have good taste. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I don't know. I. I I'm not sure what the point of this was now that I'm saying all of this, but it, do, do either of you feel this way at all about like these really like acclaimed years long runs that these people have that are just not that good? Well, I will absolutely second your thoughts on slot. I, uh, I feel like I was, or I felt at the time, like I was willing to be more open about Dan slot than you were like the whole superior Spider-Man. I, I enjoyed the idea that he was going for, and I wanted it to be better than it was. But every time I would pick up an issue and read it, his his writing was terrible, and I couldn't do it. So um, I will say, in my opinion, Dan Slott probably has great ideas, but I don't care much for his writing. So guys, as, as runs of Spider-Man go, would you say that Dan Slott's was inferior? <laughs> <laughs> that well joke played. never gets old. That, joke well never gets old. that was the point. Yeah. Never this. laying that joke down, never. <laughs> um, I see, and I think I think the reason I have a chip on my shoulder about some of this stuff is that comics fans look at something like J. Michael Straczynski's Amazing Spider-Man run, uh, they dismiss that as sort of disposable, as as garbage. I love and to that. me, Straczynski's Spider-Man, I know it had, you know, it it might have crashed and burned a little at the end. Maybe not entirely his fault, especially not the, you know, the whole fucking thing where he traded Mary Jane for Aunt May. That was terrible um <laughs> but that to me was like what that character uh should have been and paul from what I, i'm understanding about your love of the pre-52 uh batman like that was what you know snyder was doing what batman should have been and then these characters get pushed off in these other directions for years that uh take the character technically in new directions but sort of leave behind what makes the character the character you know, you know what's interesting about this, AJ, is that I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of going on this comics read of my own, and I'm actually leaning into one of these scenarios where everything changes and it sucks, which is the Marvel um, post-Secret Wars reboot thing, 
that's going on, and weirdly enough, one of those is what got me reading it. And so I've been on this run reading all of like Marvel stuff on the Marvel Unlimited app. By the way, do not pay for Marvel Unlimited. <laughs> it is the worst app ever. It's bad. It's um, bad. It's almost unusable. But um, I'm now into kind of the run-up to the Marvel event, which is mostly all seated in Jonathan Hickman's writing, so I'm starting with his Fantastic Four. And i got to be honest, I really dig it. I'm like totally into what he's doing with Fantastic Four and all of this stuff he's seeing about like the universe being cracked and um, his Fantastic being... Four. His Fantastic Four is incredible. That's one of the those beloved runs I will absolutely stand up for. It's great. So I just got up to the end of his like initial Fantastic Four run, which leads to the death of Johnny Storm, and now I have begun reading FF, which by the way is just a stupid title. Comic books people, please. You're drunk, go home. Um, but I have begun reading FF where Spider-Man becomes a member of, of the Fantastic Four. But it just basically seems to be continuing the plot of what he was already doing. So, um, yeah, but I'm, um, it's great. It's great. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I think in very few cases where a creative team takes a character, attempts to take a character in a new direction... I don't think it works very often because I think what they do, and I think, uh, and I, I guess I'll go back to slot on this just because that's the most passion I have uh, for for one of these things. But for example, I think, like Paul was saying, in theory, a lot of what Dan Slot uh, has done with Spider-Man sounds interesting. Like those could have been good stories and a good direction for that character, but by doing so, he's completely abandoned everything that makes. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. The, the, he's run with the ideas and has completely dropped the ball on who the character is, whereas someone like Hickman with Fantastic Four can do both. Take the character, take the characters and the concepts in completely like bold new directions. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's, um, you know, Hickman's work on Fantastic Four has been interesting by sort of delving into the implications of um, Reed's personality. You know, by delving into the fact that he thinks he can fix everything, like let's push him up against a wall where fixing everything is like the most ridiculous possible thing he could do because he is like tapping into cosmic forces he can't possibly deal with, but he can't stop himself. And so like it it pushes – it sort of tests out the character at one of his extremes as opposed to just making something up like let's kill Peter Parker and make um, Doc Ock Spider-Man, which is just a gimmick as opposed right. to anything else. So – yeah, I'm 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 gonna go into his Avengers next, Hickman. So I'll let you know what I think about those, and then I am gonna read Secret Wars. Gonna read it, and only I because Hickman. If it was Bendis, I would not be doing it. Speaking of acclaimed people that your your runs who you hate, there that's me and Bendis right there. I'm there <laughs> his, to hate Bendis and his, his garbage garbage runs of things. I, he he has good dialogue. He he has talent as a writer. Don't get me wrong, but I I can't stand his runs of stuff. His Avengers run is not good I, I bendis is a guy who i will give him a pass for life basically because of ultimate spider-man like i love ultimate spider-man so much that anything else of his that i read that, and i don't care for i'm like mm, you know this doesn't really count <laughs> this isn't bendis it's, he was doing this for the paycheck I, I i will tell you i um bendis is such a polarizing creator for a lot of people apparently um i have not read a lot of the big Bendis runs that so many people talk about. Like people say that Bendis is great for a while, but when he hangs around too long, he really hangs around too long. And yeah. um, they, they 
complain, uh, Eric, I've heard you comment on his like walls of dialogue or whatever. Um, I, I read it's nowhere near the full run of, uh, of, um, uh, ultimate Spider-Man, uh, like AJ did, but I read maybe, I think the first five volumes of that. I, I loved that. And, uh, I loved his X-Men stuff. Like, um, that was actually really good. His X Men, I, I didn't. Uh, unfortunately, like the the end of it sort of got. That's when I kind of stepped away from comics again. But what yeah, I read was really good. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was going to say about like some of these creators, like Straczynski and uh, and and even Hickman and not Slot, but uh, there are, there are creators that I think um, could probably do amazing things with these characters. Uh, but there's you know, editorial input. <laughs> there's there's corporate editorial input that I that at a certain point um, either crushes their creativity or imposes things like these crossover events, like the New the, Fifty Two that destroyed Snyder's amazing uh, Dick Grayson as Batman run. Do you think part of it is so? You had said that part of the general consensus on Bendis is that. Uh, he's great at first, but then when he sticks around for a while, it kind of goes to pot. Do you think part of it is um, these people are doing so well on these books, like critically and commercially, that they can't let them go? And so at a certain, like for example, I think if Snyder and Capullo had left Batman at the end of like the Death of the Family arc, that would have been a, a really solid run. That would have been a really good run. Uh, but then they kept going, and it kind of got a little more ridiculous. They kind of that the ideas became a little more tired or like Bendis's Avengers. Like from what I remember, it's been a really long time and I definitely have not read his whole run because it was insanely long. But I remember when he first started Avengers that it was actually really, really good. He sort of revitalized that title for the company, re- redid like the, 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 for, the, the entire Avengers format. I remember it being really good, but then he just stuck around for so long that he, it, it, it lost its charm. Like the charm wore off. Whereas Hickman on Fant- Hickman was only on Fantastic Four for a few years. Well, uh, and Hickman was only on Avengers for like two years. Yeah, I, I mean, I really do think that the length of the run, it, th- there's a magic number that you need to hit, um, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a fault of the creator. Like, I don't know if I would blame Bendis for sticking around too long. Right. I mean, he's uh, he's making so much money for Marvel. Of course, they want him to stick around. Well, I'm just I, saying, just, I like, just blame him for sucking. You, <laughs> I'm Ouch. just saying he start. You know, his stuff starts out great, and th- this could apply to, you know, most of these creators maybe that start off so strong, but when they stick around for a long time, the the magic sort of fades. F- first of all, that you know, that's probably just the way things work. Like, it, that's life. That that's life. But there's also the fact that the the initial run that these uh, writers go on um, is like a burst of creativity. They're bringing in all these new ideas. They're they're bringing in like new characters and changes. They're they're shaking up the status quo. But these uh, the the top two, Marvel and DC books, there's only so much status quo shaking <laughs> that they will allow before you are forced to level out. And um, you know, I, I didn't read Bendis's Avengers run, but I imagine it was super creative initially. But then there was he, he couldn't push any more changes. Like they, he couldn't, uh, unless there was a war, uh, you know, a line wide event, which happens every other week now at Marvel. I mean, there's only so many changes he could do, and so he kind of just starts treading water. That's probably what happens to the long runs. So speaking so wanna, of treading water. 
Oh, you were gonna you were gonna segue there on there. That's all right. No, no, go, go ahead, go ahead, Eric. <laughs> no, ahead, I, Eric. I actually I was gonna do a, a a sort of like sideways segue of my own, which is I wanted to say that the reason we got talking about comics before we got started here, because this was kind of a last minute decision, is because we are we have made it official that we are going to be discussing the Avatar comics in between that bridge Avatar to Legends of Korra. So. Yeah. That is now an official thing. We've been kind of babbling back and forth about whether we were going to do it. Well, today I bought the first of three volumes by um, Glenn. What's a uh, blank it's name? Gene Luen Yang. Gene Luen Yang. He's a fantastic writer who did um, American Born Chinese. American Born things. Chinese, yeah. And um, Boxes I've and heard, Saints. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard nothing but great things about his Avatar run. Um, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to read them. So that's sort of what got us going on comics. So. Um, we're going to be getting ready for that when season three um, comes and passes. So just just know you are in for the, the bonus episodes that we threatened will now be bonusing. <laughs> I I swear to God, if Aang becomes obscenely wealthy and runs his own lab, I'm going to be furious. Well, you know, in the comics, uh, Zuko actually possesses Aang's body. God damn it. Is, is he the superior avatar? He is. <laughs> <laughs> for a guy with an inferiority complex that's uh that's yeah wow uh, all right well so um those were those were both pretty good now eric wins the segway competition there so good job it's, eric it's not difficult it, you get, i don't <laughs> i don't put up much of a fight you get the prize this week uh all so right. let's get into it but aj still has to go first i'm not shaking up the, oh, the show boy. this week aj well, uh well you have to introduce the episode though paul come on don't don't drop the ball on what you're doing. What are we? What are we watching? <laughs> this is episode two nineteen, the Guru. So AJ, you're the yeah, noob. These are, I think what Eric was getting at. These are the final episodes of book two. Yes, I said that at the top of the show. Yeah, but it's been the. They just listened to it's, us babble about. It's been about an hour. Like, okay, I apologize. Yes, we've we've come to the end of book two. Our journey through the Earth Kingdom is about to come to a crashing halt. We have two two chapters to discuss. Which actually, this is an, this was another case where the they were, the digital streaming version clumped them together. So this is, depending on how you look at it, this is either one episode or two episodes. But we're going to discuss it as episode two nineteen, the Guru, and episode two twenty, the Crossroads of Destiny. The thing I liked best about the Guru is that, uh, so I think it was last week, I was talking about how as much as I've been enjoying this season, uh, Aang had kind of fallen by the wayside. Mm -hmm. I wasn't finding his story nearly as interesting as, you know, Iroh and Zuko, Toph, even Sokka and Katara to an extent. Um, But this, I I feel like... This was really focused on Aang in kind of a powerful way with the with uh, Guru Patik showing him the uh, you know how to open the seven chakras in his body and then his uh, conflict over that not being able to sever his uh, attachment to Katara. Uh, I, I found all of that to be really uh, powerful. I was really pleased with all of that. It's, it felt like it felt like the show was refocusing on Aang at exactly the right time. Yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, I have um, sort of like ninety percent good feelings on Ang stuff in this, and then like ten percent of grouch over the way it ends up, which is that after after a lot of really fascinating stuff with forcing Ang to confront things from his past, which I loved, mm-hmm. we end up in in Jedi Order territory, where um, where he is forced to not love and must, and then he won't have power if he doesn't. Which I, I find I was. I don't know how you both thought about that, but that that rang really off to me. Um, 
Well, I love the fact that Aang calls him on it when when uh, Aang says, uh, why would I choose cosmic energy over Katara? How could it be a bad thing that I feel an attachment to her? Three chakras ago, that was a good thing. <laughs> um, but I kind of, I see what you're saying, Eric, but I kind of feel like uh, he, Patik is not necessarily telling him that he, he, he kept saying you must be willing to let her go. Not you have to let her go. Like I, he wasn't necessarily telling Aang, forget about her. Like she cannot be in your life. You have to be a celibate monk. You can't have any friends or anything. He wanted Aang to be able to let her go. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. That's definitely what what was going on. It was not as bad as I'm, I'm making an Anakin Skywalker joke here. It's not that bad. Um, <laughs> I think my problem with it is it feels like a plot complication dropped in as opposed because I feel like, and we'll see, but I feel like this never comes up again. Like beyond these two episodes, this you must let go in order to access the Avatar state thing. I feel like this is not a thing we will ever hear from again, ever. Yeah, and I, that, I, I so actually like a plot complication. I actually don't re- remember how it resolves. Like um, at the end of these two episodes, Aang sort of resolve like <laughs> Aang kind of resolves it for himself a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I don't remember if this becomes a hangout. I later. mean, that uh, hmm. That would be kind of disappointing if it's not revisited. Um, I, I liked the introduction of it simply because as much as I was I was enjoying all the stuff with the chakras, it occurred to me that it was a little too easy like for him to like, like a guru Patik would set up, you know, this, this chakra is this, it's being blocked by this, you have to confront this, and Aang was like, okay, and so he did, and it was fine. <laughs> then, he gets to the, then he gets to the last one, and it's, you know, it's really difficult, and it doesn't work out. So I like that, um, and maybe he does resolve it at the end of uh, at the end of the next episode because he sort of he you know he he barricades himself in that little whatever he did there his own little fortress of solitude, um, and he sort of mentally does detach himself. Um, I don't know if, if if that's the resolution. It's a little underwhelming. It, well, we're gonna see. I you know I. I, this could come back in some fashion that I'm not remembering. I there there is something about him accessing the Avatar state. There's there is an arc about him accessing the Avatar state in season three, but it definitely does not resolve with this. So um, whether it comes up in other ways, I can't remember. But I also feel like um, Legend of Korra does not approach this idea at all, not once. No, so, we. Uh, um... Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything about Legend of Korra, but I will say that one of the things that is is uh, we're reminded of in in the Guru is that Aang continues to be the reluctant hero, the reluctant Avatar. He's the Avatar that didn't never wanted to be, um, and that that is not the issue in Legend of Korra. So, like the the Avatar: The Last Airbender, we're following the development, the growth and development of a kid who was basically forced into becoming the avatar. And how does he deal with that? And apparently for most of the series, he, he doesn't, um, legend of Korra goes a different direction, but, um, yeah, I mean, it is a different series. It's just, I, I feel like it, because of the fact that it's not a major theme going forward, I don't think, and I do have a history of being very wrong about what happens in avatar. So this could be another one of those cases, but, if I am right and it doesn't come up, it reads entirely as a plot complication and not as anything meaningful. And that's my issue with it. 
Not that it's bad, but that it's more plot complication than it is insightful. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised. I, I kind of thought, Eric, your issue would be um, that this episode kind of encapsulates a complaint about Aang's speedy development uh, that you had earlier in the series, uh, where you kind of had a problem with the fact that uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is another one of those situations that sets up um, the chosen one who has to learn impossible, you know, has to develop impossible levels of skill in a super short time. Yeah, and AJ and actually AJ made a good point about this that everything's kind of easy and unlocking those um those chakras and it does kind of go in those lines. I think the reason that works for me is twofold. Um one of it mostly works for me. One of which is even though it is way 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 too fast and it's way too fast. It's really only about um accessing the avatar state and not really his other skills and this act and that his whole accessing the avatar state thing pays off in an, a surprising way at the end of the next episode mm-hmm. um and the other side is that it's entirely based around ang's emotional state as opposed to fighting skill and so because it's character development and not power development it works for me on that level cool cool um go ahead what the heck's the other plot on this episode is oh it's 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 it's, um oh it's all the daily bullshit (laughs) well all right let's get into the let's get into the daily bullshit um well i mean the the other members of the the ang gang are off so when we last left our heroes they were splitting the party everybody was going their own direction so uh this episode we get obviously ang is doing his whole uh luke skywalker on dagobah thing uh but Sokka is finally reunited with his father. How'd you guys feel about that? I got that. What did you think, AJ? I, I liked it. I thought it was really nice. And I, I, I liked, um, uh, what's the line? Uh, when Hakoda says, the rest of you men get ready for battle. And Sokka's like, what do I do? It's like, aren't you listening? I said, the rest of you men get ready for battle. That was a nice little yeah. character moment for Sokka. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I liked that when Aang showed up to take Sokka away, there was no – it was no, like, drama about his dad being like, but you have to be here to help us, which for a second is where I thought that was going to go. Mm. His dad's just happy for him. Like, his dad's obviously proud of him that the Avatar showed up and he's going back to save his sister, and it's A-OK. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> – okay, so I, I've hinted at a couple times, uh, particularly last week I hinted that there were – um, sort of offshoots of of bending. There were there were side side alleys of bending styles that we were starting to see. We've seen swamp benders, we've seen sand benders, and that there were we were going to see some more of that. Finally, finally, we get to what I've been hinting at this whole time. So AJ, what did you think about Toph? Oh, with the metal bending. Yeah, I really liked that, especially. Um how it uh dealt with the sixth the i'm sorry the sixth chakra the light chakra mm-hmm. um you know where patik is talking about uh the greatest illusion in this life is the illusion of separation even the separation of the four elements is an illusion one that is and i feel like this is not the first time this concept has been broached in avatar but that is a deep issue for a kids tv series mm-hmm. Um, and two, I really liked how that was intercut with Toph realizing that she could, 
um, because metal is technically part of the earth. She could, you know, she's such a, she, she is an earth bending master. She could master that too. And I really like that. And I like the fact that she trapped the, uh, the boulder in the, the fucking martial arts teacher in the, <laughs> it's in Z- the thing forever. It's Zin Fu and master you. Come on, man. Sorry. Sorry. This is probably maybe my favorite moment of the entirety of Avatar. Her, her, her toss inventing metal bending on the fly yeah. is about as badass as the show ever gets. And, and she's just, and her, like her pure cockiness at having done it resolving to the point where she's doing this like absurd, like earth surfing thing <laughs> to get away at the end yeah. of it. Like just to like, it's almost like she's just, just to show off. Like I, this is how about how powerful I am. Her, I'm just going to fucking line. Surf. Her line is I am the greatest earthbender in the world. Don't you two dunderheads ever forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so great so great and really the, 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 the earth surfing thing that she does that is the only way to travel <laughs> right I would love to do that I would be at work in 30 seconds if I could do that who needs a sky bison sky bisons are so last season it is all about <laughs> earth surfing now uh, yeah it's actually it really is like I've been waiting for this moment to get back to it because I remember it being incredible like I remember being so psyched when Toph I mean, I love that it's not just the top because like we get a lot of things where a hero knows something exists but can't master it and then masters it, and that's satisfying. But we have no idea that metal bending exists. Toph actually, actually, they've commented a few times. You can't like they've said that multiple times in the show. You can't bend metal, and and Toph just just straight out fucking invents it. Yep. Like so, just you can't invent. you can't bend metal. Does that mean? Superman is an earth bending master. Oh jeez. All right, I'm going to See, pretend that didn't happen. He bends he bends metal is the the thing, that's the, the pun the pun the joke there. Yeah, that's great. That really that, <laughs> I I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have gotten it if you hadn't explained it. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, thanks for explaining it. Um I, AJ, you talked about how cool it was that that uh she made that discovery um while we were getting the narration from uh Guru Patik. I also love the visual that goes along with that. The uh the daredevil radar sense while she's inside her little metal yeah. box and she's like feeling the walls and, and you see the concentric circles moving out. I was, I, I love Toph. I love everything about Toph. She's uh, definitely one of the, maybe like the greatest character in, um, in Avatar. She I, in may be series, my, maybe. she may be my favorite character. I mean, it was honestly like as much as I bitched about him at the beginning of, of this podcast, it was Zuko. And then the fucking end of the finale happened and we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. To that. We're going to, we're going to get to that. Oh man. Um, oh, it's but, but I don't know. Toph and Zuko were pretty much neck and neck for me. As, as a brief aside, I want to know – Paul and I were talking um, enthusiastically about The Expanse um, before the show started. And Guru Patik is um, voiced by Brian George, who is, is a side – he's a guest character. Not really a guest character, but he is a side character in um, The Expanse. And is, is he? He is um, Christian's uh, husband. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so, um, so yeah, a little another little little connection there. Huh. Things I'm watching right now. So, cool. he, oh, very good actor. He's been around for a really long time. He's been in a million things. Just a fantastic actor, but um, most recently has been in The Expanse. Awesome. Um, 
Right, we well, haven't really talked about Katara. Yeah, Katara is uh, the last one of our group. So because Katara sort of gets, she gets, she's left behind to help the Earth Kingdom plan, and I mean, she doesn't really seem like she's helping that much. Uh, Momo gets in the way, and she makes a joke about it, um, and then she she gets uh, uh, sidelined by uh, Azula here, and I. I a visual that I think the most notable thing for me about this Katara storyline, one, I got super emotional, like when Aang was, when he had that mental montage of all of the things that he's done with Katara and how much she means to him. I got, I got emotional watching that. Um, you old softy. I know. Uh, and I really liked, um, and this is kind of a tiny throwaway thing, but I think it's a way that, the the creators were able to get around certain Nickelodeon restrictions. So when Katara gets uh, like uh, knocked out, you know, it look it looks really bad like, when she gets knocked out. Like she gets hurt. Um, when she falls to the ground, her uh, the the is it like the sash or the satchel of water that she keeps? She was she her? was starting to use her her. She was going to waterbend out of her little water pouch or whatever. Yeah, the pouch is still open when she falls, and so the water uh, pulls out from beneath her just like a pool of blood would. Wow, and so yeah. it, even with even without showing the like, even though they can't show anything like that, it's still the same like mentally like the same sort of visual, and so it sells how dire the situation is. I in that I, uh, I actually had not considered that. That is pretty awesome, AJ. Well done. You you made up for maybe like twenty percent of your terrible puns today. <laughs> and it actually reminded me of. Uh, this, I'm not just saying this because over on Gobbledygeek we're doing Hitchcock Month right now, but it reminded me of a, a Hitchcock movie very few people talk about, but which I kind of like. It's called Topaz. It's one of his later movies, and there's an amazing moment in that movie where um, a a woman gets shot to death while a man is holding her, like the man who shoots her is holding her, and as she and Hitchcock doesn't show anything, uh, but as she falls slowly falls to the ground, there's like an overhead shot of her slowly falling to the ground, and her dress just pulls out beneath her, like blood. And it's such a striking visual. And that was the first thing I thought of when I saw the Katara water pouch thing. Well, that's cool. that, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, to clarify, like she she gets taken out by Ty Lee. So oh, Ty Lee. Sorry, sorry. Um, so she, she's just like Tylee does the pressure point thing. Right. Uh, so she basically just goes floppy like Sokka did when, when, uh, when Sokka fought <laughs> against her. Um, but you're right. She does, when she goes down, she does, it's, I don't think it's actually slow motion, but it's almost like that where yeah. she, she falls forward almost in slow motion. And then, yeah, you get the overhead look at the water underneath there. I hadn't even considered blood, but that makes it pretty dramatic. Good call. I have my moments. Every, every once in a while, and then you ruin them with Superman talk. But um. the, the the problem with 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 um, Katara's plot this is that she is wrapped up in the like obnoxious kind of idiot plot of this thing, which is the Earth King telling the not the not um, Kyoshi warriors the plan, right? And the Daily being both the stupidest and most useful tool in all of the world <laughs> by being conned by a child's trick by, of, of Katara's, <laughs> uh, sorry, of, of Azula's, 
And then later, of course, becoming like the key to all victory, despite the fact that they're children who couldn't defeat these kids in like an episode ago. They're now like the key to controlling the Earth Kingdom, but they can be fooled by the stupidest of tricks. So, um, you're right. You're completely right in saying that. But that didn't even occur to me watching this because I was just so swept up in everything that was happening. Whereas last week, I completely, you know, saw through their idiocy. This week it didn't it didn't really bother me. In fact, um, them being conned by a child's trick, as you put it, um, I, at first I thought like Tylee and May were just being. In fact, I think I made a note like uh, Tylee and May are fucking idiots. <laughs> um, and again, it was I I, I keep underestimating the show because it's a Nickelodeon cartoon, and so you know the whole shocker thing was such uh, that's such a. a, a an interesting concept introduced into a kid's show. And because I was so fascinated by that, then you get that scene. And for like half that scene, I was like, Oh no, they just reminded me that they're a Nickelodeon show. Like, Oh, that's, that's disappointing. And then it, it, you know, I was just pleased that it turned out they were conning the Dali. It didn't even occur to me to stop to think, wow, the Dali is kind of (laughs) dumb. The the Dali, this is like where the, the, ludicrous swings of the Dialy's competency start happening really bad. It's that like in this episode, they basically exist for Azula to manipulate into helping the fire nation because reasons, I guess. And, and then we get into the next episode. So most of my Dialy complaints kind of come into the next episode, but this is definitely where it starts. Also, it just becomes like, I don't, I don't understand how did, how did Katara not notice that these were not the Kyoshi warriors? She hadn't seen them, right? Like, as, as soon as she sees them, she realizes... But she takes a long time. She talks for a bit, and it's not until she sees Azula's eyes that she figures it out. I don't know. Don't well, I think, I think it's the voice. I think... Is it that it? It's yeah, just... I think it's when Azula speaks that she... And she recognizes the voice. I mean, when when you're talking animated characters and they're wearing face paint, you might be able to get away with that. If this was a live-action show and there were two actresses, like the actress that played Suki looks nothing like the actress that plays Azula... In order to get away with this in live action, you'd, they'd have to be wearing helmets. There you go. Yeah. yeah. In order for you to get get away with this, period, they'd have to be wearing helmets. <laughs> and, I mean, plus because all three of them, I mean, they've been they've been being chased by Azula and her her like circus friends for like entire season, and all three of them are the only three Kyoshi warriors show up look like them in makeup, <laughs> and it just goes on. Azula and her circus friends. Yep, a Saturday morning needs, cartoon. Yes, that needs to go on the spinoff pile. <laughs> <laughs> um, Get a Iceman and Firestar in there. Awesome. Uh, so let's talk about the B plot, which um, the A and B plots are are getting dangerously close to merging, <laughs> um, and they do merge in the next episode. But here the B plot is um, Zuko and Iroh, and um, Zuko has has. Met him. He, he's he's woken up as a beautiful butterfly. He's completed his metamorphosis. He has. There's even like a laugh in his voice right. at one point. It was honestly kind of disturbing. He's so uh, happy. He's so he happy. He is. Now. He is. It was so nice, you know, watching uh, Iroh and him open up uh, their tea shop. The uh, what's it called? The Jasmine, the Jasmine Dragon. Yeah. Uh, which which I, I think there's one of those that you can get some. Uh, some good dumplings in one of those here in Akron. Uh, God, AJ, but... I'm, I'm done with you on this show. That's it. <laughs> Finished. Um, but 
I, I really loved that storyline, and I was so sad at the end when they get that quote-unquote invitation mm -hmm. from the Earth King, because as soon as you see them get that invitation, if it was real, their joy would be validated, but it's not, and so you know that their happy days are over. Yeah. The, so, um, and, it, and it all happens because Katara couldn't tell that their <laughs> nemeses were the ones that she was revealing that information to. <laughs> um, but would that really have stopped? I mean, I guess she wouldn't necessarily want to give any information to Azula, but um, I mean, she doesn't care if Azula is trying to kill Zuko. She wants them to kill each other, but... But she wouldn't have she wouldn't have revealed it under, in that way. Under right, the, right, so, yeah. So basically, the last few episodes have involved a lot of people not necessarily behaving stupidly, but saying things to people that they shouldn't be saying them to. <laughs> so there's a lot of a lot of like Sokka tells the king to, oh, you should trust the Kyoshi warriors and. Uh, and well, the king tells with, the Kyoshi he, warriors, oh, we've got this perfect plan to defeat the Fire Nation. Um, but those things are all said, like, under... When one character assumes these are different... Yeah, that's uh, what I'm saying. It's context. not... They're not necessarily being stupid. It's just the... It's it's really unfortunate the way <laughs> the right, information yeah. has been passed. The, the, show, the show has to jump through a lot of hoops to get us to the finale of this season. A lot of hoops. Yeah, but I don't... Um, it, it, to I, me, though, it didn't feel strange. Yeah, I haven't been bothered by any of it. it just I'm, felt I'm not like, as bothered by the fact like a, a, a domino effect. Like everything went wrong, and like all, like one domino fell, and then they all fell. But it's a domino effect of people being of like, I don't know. Like in the first season, when everything went to shit, it it went to shit because of the like decisions that people had made. In this, it all goes to shit because I don't know because. Well, because because some people say some things and are easily tricked and mouth off when they shouldn't and also the daily. <laughs> Jesus, um, I th I think, um, like the the bossing say arc has introduced politics a lot more than the the show had ever before this. Um, and when you start dealing with politics, especially when you introduce concepts like a puppet government and secret police and all that stuff, um, I, I think it's okay to start having. Uh, information and misinformation become uh you know a means of plot development i i just think like the the ang gang has absolutely no reason to expect that azula would be any side anywhere inside the city because she can't get through the wall they they stopped her from getting through the walls how could she possibly be here so they it doesn't even occur to them that how how could she possibly be here right after she just saw zuko in the walls <laughs> well, okay. I no, mean... I know. I I I had to make that joke. I'm sorry, but I I no, I totally get what you're saying, and I agree. I actually think, in theory, a lot of these ideas work. I think, in practice, it leans really hard on people doing dumb things, mm -hmm. and not well enough on people making decisions that conflict. Because part of politics too is conflicting motivations, mm -hmm. and that's almost absent in this. It's almost entirely people being dumb while Azula is smart. I mean, well, that's basically what, what most of the plot hinges on is that. We, uh, I mean, we do get kind of a nod to that in the next episode. Our, okay, so before we move on, is there anything else in the Guru that we need to talk about? Is there anything we haven't 
covered. Yeah, um, Cosmic Aang is really cool looking. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a Jack Kirby type thing. It's like Silver Surfer Aang. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. That it's is pretty awesome. awesome. That's um, awesome. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let me look here really quick. Um, no, I guess I guess that's probably it. I think we've covered everything. Let's let's arrive at the crossroads of our destiny, Paul. Okay. Let, well, take us there, AJ. All right. So the crossroads of destiny. Uh, this is the big season finale. Uh, I I thought it was great. Like I honestly like I loved both of these episodes. I I will say that as concerned as I was about a certain portion of this season, I honestly think that because of the Zuko Iro stuff, because of Toph, because because I'm more invested uh, in these characters than I ever have been before, with the possible exception of Aang. I th- I think I would prefer like I enjoy the story that season two tells I think more than the, the story season one tells um, I, I really love season season two um, <clears throat> excuse me but I don't know if we want to jump right into this my big thing is what happens with Zuko at the end um, so I don't know if we want to just jump into that or if we want to go in a different direction first let, let, I think we should just jump into that's it's kind of we're gonna be talking around it otherwise and mm-hmm. this is what I would probably call the most heartbreaking plot of yeah. the entire show, and maybe yeah. a show. It's it's a heart. It's, it's it's wrenching. This destroyed me when I saw it the first time. Yeah, oh well, God. it's. I mean, it's it's harder to watch when you know what's coming, even because uh, in in the Guru we get to see um, Zuko's happy ending. We get to see him being a happy, you know, pleasant, optimistic young man, and but you, I mean, you know that it's leading to this, so. Can I, can I ask you a question, AJ? Sure. Were you did you believe Zuko's redemption was real at this point? Were you before he made that decision? Were you were I, cause I had bought in, so I'm curious. Were you bought into his redemption at this point? Yes, and I still I still am. I still think that was real. That was real, and then he he threw it away. Here, I think what happened is, uh, it's it's really sad that he can be played like this, but it it also makes sense. Um, he's even after his his metamorphosis into the beautiful prince he was always meant to be. Um, even after all of that, all of a sudden he's face to face with uh, Azula, and, and so like when he had that like bad trip, and he was seeing the two dragons, and Azula was one dragon on his shoulder, and Iroh was another. Here they're in the same position, but yep. it's, it's real life. They're face to face. Iroh is arguing with him, you know, you're not the man you used to be. You've come to the crossroads of destiny. It's time for you to choose. It's time for you to choose good. Azula then changes her tune. Like, she's been really shitty and dismissive of Zuko this entire time. And all of a sudden, she's saying that she needs Zuko. The only way we win is together. You know, you'll have your honor back, and it's not going to be because of father. It's going to be because you earned it. And Zuko is so easily manipulated by that. It's really sad to watch him throw away what I believe to be the genuine progress he's made up to that point, including the stuff with Katara, because they're both locked up together. And one thing I will ask you to enlighten me on, because I must have forgotten this plot point. She, She has like healing water. Yeah. At the, at the end of season one, when they left, uh, the, the Northern water tribe, they um, I can't remember the chief's name, but uh, he gave her a vial of water from that spirit oasis, the pool okay, that that's has the spirits right. in it. Okay, cool. And I said, uh, you know, use this for, I, he told her that it was special and, and, you know, save it for an important occasion or whatever. 
I mean, she almost used that on Zuko to to heal his his scar. Uh, the, the scene when they are being separated after, uh, like, she's about to heal him, and then Ang and Iroh burst in, uh, and Ang and Katara go off while Iroh stays there to have the talk with Zuko. And the look on their faces as they're being, as Katara's being led away, I mean, that was, that was horrible. Because, yeah. I mean, on screen, what we see Zuko throw away is it, losing the scar. Like, he's just, he's finally refer he's finally referenced the scar as the, as being marked, as being cursed or whatever. He finally talks about it uh, the way that, you know, we've always seen it, basically. Uh, he admits this. He reveals his his pain to her. She's going to heal him. She, for all we know, she probably could have. But because of the choices he makes, she ends up using that water to heal Aang. So she will never be able to do that for Zuko. Yeah. You know what's interesting about what happens in this episode is I don't know if I've ever seen a show do this where it got me to totally buy into a character's redemption arc, like totally a hundred percent. I was there. You know what I mean? Like, I was with them. I was happy. I'm like, Zuko's finally arrived. He's finally here. And then yanked it out from under me. Made me believe the yanking it out from under me part two. Like, it made me believe every step of that. And I can't think of a show ever having done that to me. This specific arc. It's probably the mo- the masterstroke of the series. It's, it's, it's crushing. Absolutely crushing. And so, you know, again, I, I don't have the context for what happens next, what happens in the final book. But, uh, again, I think his progress was genuine, and I feel he was just – he was manipulated into betraying his progress. But I don't think – my hope I'll, – I'll put it that way. My hope going forward, since you guys know what's going to happen, but my hope is that he, it's not going to go back to him being uh, like the simplistic avatar hunting villain he was the first time around. My hope is that he's going to have to deal with the emotional consequences – well, not just the emotional, the real-world consequences of his actions going forward. And he's going to be messed up about it. I will only say that Zuko remains an interesting character. He, his, <laughs> arc, his arc stays interesting, and I, he, he remains one of my one of the most fascinating characters in the series to me. Okay, good. Um, that, that, that is good to so hear. Yes, you're not you – it, it, his plot goes forward. It does not go backwards from here. You, you know what? The, maybe the most heartbreaking thing about all of this – is Iroh then, you know, he 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 turns, you know, he tells Katara to, you know, go, go with Aang, and then he turns against uh, Zuko and Azula, and it, that that is tough to watch, given uh, the arc that we've seen play out this season. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, Zuko, I mean, Zuko didn't just betray, like, the progress that he had made. He That was a betrayal of his uncle. Right, right you're right. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, the look on Iroh's face at the end, like he, he fights them off long enough for Katara to get Aang out of there. And then he immediately stops fighting. And, you know, once he's imprisoned in the in the crystals or whatever, he he just turns away like he won't even look at Zuko at this point. Yeah, it's it's mean. I mean, this is it's, you know, Aang getting beaten in the Avatar state and zapped to near death is is honestly pretty dark for a Nickelodeon show right there. Like Aang's fate at the end of this is, is not kind for 
a Nickelodeon show, but it pales in comparison to the the dark of Zuko turning not only on Aang and them after sort of friending and turning on his own redemption, but turning on his uncle and allowing him to be captured by Azula. It's dark. There's a dark ending. It, it's so, it, it's, it's so the tragic. whole season ends on a really dark, despairing note. I mean, the final, uh, even beyond the Zuko Iroh stuff, uh, the final line of the season is the Earth can't, like, they're flying away. No one looks happy because no one has won. This has not been a victory for anyone except Angust. Everyone, everyone is still alive. Uh, and the Earth King says the Earth Kingdom has fallen. And that's the way the season ends. <laughs> Yeah. You fuckers, I don't get to watch. <laughs> I couldn't right away watch the, the third season premiere. I guess I could have, but then I would have had to pretend the whole time I hadn't. <laughs> you jerks. Yeah. Uh. The, you know, it, it's, it's, the thing about this season finale is it is both my favorite season finale of... Well, no, that's, that's not true. It is, one, it is the most emotional of the season finales of Avatar for me, but it is also the most frustrating season finale for me. It has... The resolution of, like, my favorite character arc in this, like, this, the Iroh-Zuko character arc that flowed through season two is probably my favorite of any of the season character arcs, but it is wrapped up in some bullshit that I can't deal with very well. So this is a very, a very perplexing finale. On the whole, I like it because the Zuko stuff is just so, so strong, but, oh boy, does there some stuff that gets on my nerves otherwise. Eric, explain your bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so after after two episodes of the Dai Li being the most worthless motherfuckers on the planet, now suddenly they are taking everyone down in battle and executing an excellent coup. Like, two, last episode they were getting tricked by by my, my Lee and I can't even remember their names right now. That's how good I am right now. Tylee and May. Tylee and May. See, you screwed me up earlier, AJ. I'm blaming this on you. Um, the last, they're getting... They're getting completely tricked by them in a stupid, stupid plot. And now they are suddenly there's first of all, there's now thousands of them, apparently, because they're everywhere. And they take down Zuko in about 15 seconds with their stupid stone gloves. They take down Iroh in like two seconds with their stupid stone gloves and their crystal control or whatever. And they're now fearsome. I'm supposed to buy these people as fearsome now after they have been idiots for a good chunk of time. First they were terrifying, then they were idiots, and now they're supposed to be the scariest military force on the planet. So it's a lot of bullshit. Just Eric, <laughs> Eric, there's a there's a big difference here, buddy. Uh, they're now under the command of Azula. So so the the mere presence of Azula turns a army of clowns into SEAL team. Well, <laughs> Well, there, there's that line, though, where one of the Dai Li guys is talking to Long Thing, and he's like, he's going on about how she's, like, such a great leader, and, like, I don't know, all of a sudden, like, everybody really respects her, and, you know, it's kind of like a dig at Long Thing, like, you stupid motherfucker, you, you couldn't lead us competently, it took, you know, a, a young girl to do it. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I think that scene was, because Long Thing even kind of gives him a side-eye look, like, he hears right. what this guy's saying. I think just like in the Guru, the whole uh, seven chakras thing was kind of compressed. It was like re- we, that was really rushed. Um, I, that's... If, if Brian Michael Bennis had done it, that would have those seven chakras would have taken seven episodes. At seven? Least. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it would have been a season for each chakra. Um, but that, I feel like that's kind of what's going on here with uh, with Azula and the Dai Li. Yeah, uh, Azula definitely is the no pun intended, the spark. She's, she lit a fire under the Dai Li. Um, 
I don't. Did, did she, did she retrain them in earthbending and turn them into an actual fighting force? Or was that it? <laughs> no, just, no. I mean, I mean, just just to be fair, like when they when the coup actually happens, like they're not. It's not like the Dai Li are taking on all four members of the Ang gang at once. They're going after these generals one at a time when the generals don't know that there's a fight. Com- they're they're sniping at them from the shadows. So that's not necessarily. But that impressive. Well, they're and, ninjas. I mean, yeah, they turn into ninjas too for that scene. You're right. They also gain ninja powers. <laughs> <laughs> they but, have, they've had but, ninja powers. Come on, they but, hang but from look, the ceiling. But look how bad they beat Zuko in like five seconds. They beat Iroh in like five seconds. They and th- let's remember that the Ang gang whooped them like three episodes ago. Well, Zuko was by himself and is was supremely overconfident and also wasn't expecting them to be the threat. He was he had just threatened, you know, he had just challenged uh Azula to an Agni Agni Kai and she was like, "Eh, no thanks." That was hilarious, by the <laughs> um, way. Which that oh. was hilarious. But is the uh, Agni Kai what he had like done with his father? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. And uh and Zhao. And that's the worst, right, and that's the worst right. villain of all time. Zhao. He should be in charge of the Dai Li. Those they would make a fantastic. <laughs> How much would you have like shit a brick if they had brought back like they get to the Earth Kingdom and Admiral Zhao is the commander of the Dai Li? I'd have been like, well, this makes perfect sense. Now, I, now I understand everything. Okay. No, you're. I mean, there's a lot of ways of of like making sense of what happens. I'm not saying it's like completely ludicrous, but it is very convenient. Like the Dai Li are extremely convenient as enemies go. They. Like, Azula's group, Azula's core team is competent the whole way through. Even when they lose, they are a terrifying group. You always consider them a threat. The Dai Li were never a physical threat to this point. At no point had they won a single combat battle up until now. When they take down Zuko instantly, they take down Iroh. And we watched Iroh go up against pretty big groups before and not be easily defeated. And you could say, well, his heart wasn't in it because blah, 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 whatever. But... (laughs) But in the end, the Dai Li are suddenly the most terrifying force of of soldiers you've ever seen. And I just don't understand how they got there. And the, the plot doesn't do anything to justify it. And I find it very, very convenient and frustrating. <laughs> well, I wasn't as nearly as frustrated or thrown off by it as you were. But I, uh, since we've talked about ninjas now, I, I do get your point that the, the Dai Li are basically the hand. Yeah, totally. They are. Or the foot, if you want to go with... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference, but <laughs> anyways, yes, uh, I, I, they are a plot device. There are Somebody as many or as few of them. <laughs> there are as many or as few of them as there needs to be for a scene to play out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very true. Um, <laughs> so what? Okay, so besides the Dai Li generally sucking, what uh, what did we get in this episode? Uh, here, can can I mention uh, maybe the most badass, like the most purely badass moment Iroh has ever had? Yeah. Uh, when he's like uh, talking to Azula, did I ever tell you how I got the name the Dragon of the West? I'm not interested in a lengthy anecdote, Uncle. It's more of a demonstration, really. And then he uses the tea, his favorite beverage, to breathe fire. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. I agree. I agree, and for that very reason, I uh, I had Chinese for dinner tonight, and I had um, I, I drank um, hot leaf juice in Iroh's honor. I was not able to breathe fire afterwards, but it was I, hot. I, at least you tried. I tried. You obviously, needed a better demonstration. Yeah, yeah. The dragon of the south can't do that. No, it's, it's very true. <laughs> the dragon of the south uh, contracts diabetes, <laughs> <laughs> blocks some arteries. Oh man. 
It's so true. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, Iroh, Iroh's a boss in everything, in every <laughs> every scene he's in. I love him. Like at the beginning, when we started this podcast, I said that Sokka, and several times since I've said Sokka is probably my favorite character. You know, when it comes right down to it, it it really probably needs to be Iroh. As much as I I love pretty much every other character, Iroh is is the spine of this show for me. Yeah. God, I'm so sad that like I know this doesn't make sense, but Zuko's betrayal is even worse because I know Mako's not voicing Iroh anymore. Mm. Like Mako ended the series with Zuko betraying him. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Way to dig that knife in there, mm-hmm. AJ. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got another badass fight scene though. Um, and I always have to comment on how awesome the, the fight scenes are. Uh, the, not only the choreography, but this one came with, um, some very powerful, uh, emotional beats to it. Yeah. Emotional, powerful, emotional beats. And also, um, Katara, the water octopus. Yeah. Great. Fighting, fighting like Zuko's fire tentacle arms. Yeah. Yeah, they're, They're like fire whips and water whips. And uh, and they like Aang and Katara had him beat there for a minute until they switched partners. Like Aang had basically taken out Zuko, and then um, Katara was about to finish up Azula there. It looked like yeah before um, Zuko switched up. But uh, yeah, more great stuff. And come on, crystal armor. How bad that was so much better than the King of Amashi, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, what isn't? I mean, the Dai Li are better than the King of Amacho. <laughs> I I actually agree with you on that one. Um, yeah, and the let's see, so many little touches. I loved the Ang shaped air blast. <laughs> the Ang yeah. threw at Zuko. That was yeah, that was cool weird that? and awesome. Uh, let's see, crystal armor, fire whips, Katara's full body water suit, Azula fucking firing jets of blue flame behind her to scream across the room. God damn it. I will, I will never not be impressed by the quality of fights on this show. Maybe the best fight scenes I've seen in a television show. Yeah. Good stuff. And then they, back in the Guru, they seated, I think it was the, the previously on segment for the Guru. They reminded us of uh, Avatar Roku explaining to Aang that when you're in the Avatar state, you're at your most powerful, but you're also at your most vulnerable because if you're killed in the Avatar state, we're all fucked. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Um, so, of course, this season has to go out on Aang uh, being severely injured, possibly mortally wounded while in the Avatar state. And uh, who knows what state he's in? I mean, it, it, he appears to be alive, but who knows what condition he's in at this point? Yeah, it was. It, I mean, that was. That was a nasty moment of, especially like Aang's like, I'm the Avatar. No, you need to like to be looking behind you when you're having that Avatar moment, I guess is my point. Um, And you gotta give it to Azula for being smart enough to to be like, okay, there's an Avatar state going on. I'm gonna sneak up behind someone. Yeah. So did uh, she, I I, I honestly can't remember if if this has been addressed um, or if we're just supposed to to, uh, assume that she kind of knows that thing about the Avatar state. Or did she just take a pot shot because she could? Oh, I just think she took a pot shot. I mean, if I, I, I if I saw someone going into the Avatar state, I would 
not knowing that it was going to kill them permanently, sneak up behind them and shoot them with lightning too. So <laughs> absolutely the the um the tactic I would take. So I just think she was being smart because Sozola's smart. Yeah. Um she had a great line uh when when she completed her uh her takeover of the Daily or whatever when she's facing down Long Feng. Uh let's see I've got it here somewhere. I uh, uh, damn it. Where'd it go? Oh, I can see your whole history in your eyes. You were born with nothing, so you had to struggle t- and connive and claw your way to power. But true power, the divine right to rule, is something you're born with. The fact is, they don't know which one of us is going to be sitting on that throne and which one is going to be bowing down. But I know, and you know. And when he's like, oh, yeah, you beat me at my own game, she's like, don't flatter yourself. You were never even a player. That whole scene... That is such a, a fascinating uh, point of view for for Azula to express because I'm uh, fascinating because most most like uh, media like most movies most TV shows uh, most comics don't go to that extent in like defining their villain's psychology. I feel like I feel like that is real that is obviously what she would think, but I've never seen something like that expressed in such a, a, a concise way like that like and it almost makes you have sympathy for long Feng. like he had to bring himself like he may be a stupid evil son of a bitch but he had to bring himself up by his own bootstraps and azula has no respect for that like you know even you know us as outside observers like yes long Feng is a bad man but look at where he's gotten himself that is kind of objectively impressive but azula she, she has no respect for that because she was born with the right uh, to rule. She was born with this power and no one else gets to make that decision. And you know what makes it especially sort of upsetting is that suddenly you look at it and you're like, this is exactly what he had to deal with the Earth King. Some idiot with a bear (laughs) is in charge solely by the nature of his birth. Yeah. And Long Feng is like, no, again, is what he wants to do with the city is not good. But here's some guy who's like, the obviously competent person keeping the city running. He's keeping the city running through fascism, so not so good, but still keeping the city running. And he finally defeats this bear-wielding idiot (laughs) only to have some other monarch take his place. Good point. Yeah, damn. Good point. Uh, Speaking of the bear, though, May has maybe my favorite line in this episode. <laughs> take the bear. Just take the bear. <laughs> yeah, that was great. You expect there's going to be another big throwdown, and she's like, ah, just take the bear. <laughs> like, I, am, I am not bothering with a fight over this bullshit. The no. circus bear is going. <laughs> like, I, I, I say again, May is the Daria of Avatar. Oh, yeah. She is. She Fair. totally is. Yeah. I actually, I'm going to disagree with you there, AJ. She's the Jane of Avatar. But you're she's the Jane? She's totally Jane. Is Azula the evil Daria then? Who's I Daria? There, I don't know if there is a Daria. I feel like she's Jane without Daria. Like she, that's part of the problem because Jane with Daria would never get involved with Azula. But oh wow, Jane without Man. Daria might not know what else to do with herself and could easily end up there. Was there ever an episode of Daria that was like an "It's a Wonderful Life" uh, <laughs> takeoff where like J- like everyone has to live without Daria and Jane is just a- an evil lackey? <laughs> I would, if not, I'm writing it now. I'll submit it to fanfiction.net. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, th- this doesn't really have anything I'll to do with it. I'll post it on my live journal. Oh, geez. 
Um, speaking of like uh, fan communities or whatever, I think when we very first started this whole project, um, I can't remember if I did it on one of the shows or just when we were talking about doing it. AJ, I believe I told you that there were uh, that there were shipper wars or whatever. The, just like every fandom, oh god, Avatar has its shipper wars. Um, and why I, are you doing this to me? I, do, I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't like <laughs> this line of questioning. What's what? What's the what's the um, Katara Zuko ship name? Uh, I think it's Zutara. All right, there we go. <laughs> I, I think not, the two not, names. Wait, wait, wait! Not Katuko. No, <laughs> no, but that's good. I think it's Katang and Zutara. I think are the two. Oh, ew! <laughs> I'm sure there's a shipper name for everybody. There's probably a Sokka and Zuko it's, shipper. K- K- Katang is a comic book sound effect. Katang. It is. That's, that's Captain America's shield, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, anyways, but uh, so you have now seen the birth. I mean, I, I don't know if it was before, but certainly in in these episodes is where you get the birth of the... Katang, the... Katang is my shipper name for Captain America's shield in the Red Skull's face. <laughs> wow. This is... See, I this is, this is the seedy underbelly of fandom right here. Uh, it, I, I have such an... We don't have to go into this. I feel, I feel like we've talked about this on Gobbledygeek Geek before, but I have an issue with fandom i don't like that term i don't like what it represents or implies i don't like it um but then you you get into asinine bullshit like this like don't get me wrong i when i watch a show like this or any show like i started watching the x-files yeah i totally want Mulder and scully to hook up um i want ang and katara to hook up or do whatever the tv y7 version of hooking up would be. <laughs> uh, a, a chast peck on the cheek um but I don't. I, I why? Why? If you're going to devote this much energy to you know throwing yourself into a fictional world, I, I feel it's totally appropriate to get swept up in the romance of it. I love a, a great romance stories, um, but why is that going to be? Why is your whole focal point on a piece of art going to be? Well, these two need to fuck, and if they're not going to, I hate it. Well. <laughs> Well, let's, let's first of all remember the um, classic line from Buffy. I'm I'm a teenager. Looking at linoleum makes me think of sex. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. I'm not a teenager. Still true. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I was gonna I was gonna say, calm down a little bit, AJ. I didn't say people were like murdering each other over this, but I did refer to it as a shipper war. Um, you did. So, is there an actual shipper war, or are you just exaggerating? Are you well, the media drumming this up? I was. I am the media drumming it up. I, I was not involved in the fandom. I'm still not involved in the fandom, but I, I I was not watching the show contemporary with this, so I don't know how bad it got. But I've heard, and I've been given the impression that the the various factions, like Katang fans. I'm they, never gonna get over they, that. they do not even want to hear a discussion of the possibility that, you know, that uh, Katara and Zuko could be meant for each other and vice versa. Like, so it's like Bangel and Spuffy. Exactly. The exactly. Oh, excuse me, I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I'm glad that AJ is now as disappointed in the show as I was with the Daily. I know it got there through a, a worse <laughs> route, but I'm I'm glad I'm not alone anymore. I, I just had to bring AJ down. He was having too much fun. He was he was enjoying it too much. Uh, so so okay, don't spoil this for 
I guess you don't have to spoil it for me, but I forget their name. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep calling it Katuko. So does <laughs> do, do, is Katuko a thing? Like, is there more to that? Are there more meaningful community style glances that people can edit into YouTube? Meaning, videos? meaningful or, community style glances. There, um, this is not. So yes, there is more fuel to the Katuko fire. Okay, <laughs> Katuko is just what we're gonna call it now. I guess. All right. What, what was the real name? Uh, Azutara. Yeah, Katuko is way better. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have Katuko and Katang. You have you have Kang. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Wow. Hold on, we have to figure this out. You, you mentioned like as a joke. You're like there could be Saka Zuko uh, shippers. What's the Saka Zuko shipper name? Is it is it Suko? <laughs> Or Zaka, which sounds like another comic book sound effect. Zaka, um, what's the what's the uh, Ang Saka uh, shipper? Sakang. Sakang. Wow, that's good. Uh, either Aka, Aka, or Zang. I don't know. I gotta figure all what's this the out. I, what's the Iro Toph shipper? Oh, <laughs> oh that was that was a great moment, by the way, which we didn't even. Me- talk yeah. about the fact that they went they they went back to their quote-unquote house in uh bossing say and first of all i love the f- attention to detail there was scaffolding on the side because it was being rebuilt after after toff broke some rules um but the fact that uh you know she vouched for iroh because she she had that moment on the road with him it was a nice scene it was it was the scene that launched a thousand iroff shippers iroff Hi, Roth. There you go. There you go. Man, I'm so sorry I brought this up now. Or, or, Toro. <laughs> Toro. You want to go with Toro and not Tyro? Because I felt like that, but all right. Tyro. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, all right. Well, we're at the end of another season. We've, re- we've, we've, uh, closed the book on another, uh, another season. Uh, we've closed we... the book on another on book. On another book. Yeah, I, I, that <laughs> fell apart there. Um, do we want to revisit our discussion from uh, from book one about which bending style we are personally leaning towards? Yeah, let's do it. I'm. Right. St- I think. I think I was in the tank for earthbending even back then, and I. I still am. I love watching uh, earthbenders at work. I mean, the stuff Toff does is amazing. It's just. It's. It seems to me maybe the most creative and uh, powerful style of bending. I love it. Cool. So I I would love to go with earthbending, but I can never be as good as Toph. So right. I, I I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave earthbending to Toph, and I got I don't know if this was my answer last time, but but was waterbending my answer last time? I think I think. Look at Paul. Look at Paul. He asked this question and then didn't even go back to see what our answers were. No, I did not. I, I okay. a terrible host. Well, I, I I actually don't remember what my choice is, but um, Katara's um. Water octopus attack at the end of this pretty much seals the deal on water bending this season for me. I'm, I'm, Katara has made water bending the coolest possible thing. I mean, la- a couple episodes ago when she did that thing with like surfing across the the river and then freezing a bunch of people with the yeah. frozen river stuff. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. It's water bending for me. It's water bending. Nice. So both Eric and I have doubled down on our initial choices. Paul, what about you? I think last time I said air. I, I said that it should be because I can't swim and I'm terrified of water, I should be a waterbender to, out of self-preservation. But I think I chose air, right? 
And it's entirely possible. You you're didn't the, do you're the, the only one who knows what's going on here, Paul. <laughs> well, uh, clearly I don't. I'm pretty sure I said air. And I think the reason I said that uh, I, I lean towards airbending is because I kind of like the philosophy behind it or whatever. I'm actually going to change that up right now. Um, at the moment, I'm leaning towards firebending. Oh, taking um, a heel turn. A, a heel turn, exactly. And it is specifically it's not because of like all the cool shit that we get to see azula do although it is awesome that she fucking makes jets behind her to fly across the room um it's actually because of an episode earlier in the season um i think it was uh bitter work maybe it was in the zuko trilogy that we watched when iroh was teaching zuko the philosophy of fire bend. it was actually the philosophy of bending but it was about fire bending and he was talking about there's en- energy all around us the energy is both yin and yang positive and negative that whole speech that he gave um plus my right now my really deep emotional attachment to iroh and and the balance that he is in emotionally um i lean towards fire bending i want to be an iroh kind of firebender not a not necessarily a zuko or azula firebender i like it that makes sense huh? All right. Um, okay, so that was it. We, uh, we we closed out a season on a cliffhanger that's uh, tearing AJ apart. Could not have asked for anything better. <laughs> you so, are a monster. I try. Um, so this was fun. Thank you, everybody, for uh, playing along with us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes on our website. That's theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or you could just subscribe to the show on iTunes, and every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur. You can feed that lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, we're all over social media. You can like us on Facebook for all of our updates or follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash T-A-R podcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And AJ is at unplugged crazy. So next week, we uh, been, we bid farewell to the Earth Kingdom. Uh, we move on to uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, book three, the final book, Fire. Uh, with chapters 301, The Awakening, and 302, The Headband. Not a very dramatic <laughs> title for an the, episode. The Headband Awakens. <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, until then, remember, if there was any danger at all, Bosco's animal instincts would sense it. Mm-hmm.